0: We're going to think about folk Islam or popular Islam. How do we define that? What does it mean? Popular or folk Islam is it because it's what the ordinary people do or it's just what's popular ideas or it's the traditions. But in some sense it is not the orthodox or the Quranic form of Islam. It's what People have understood from one another over traditions and over the years, and it may have sources in other parts of their culture rather than come from the Quran. Although, again, many things that are still rooted within the Islamic traditions or Quranic parts of the Quran as well. In some sense, many times people say that this does not exist. And that is possibly because there's a certain fear that comes up. In talking about some elements of this, it strikes a fear or a part of the person, they don't know how to answer or don't understand what is going on. Because in folk Islam, we are sometimes involved in a power play or powers that are operating, which are not defined in Islam, or powers that have not, given an explanation in some sense, I think, because as we look at the Quran and we read the story of Adam and Eve, it doesn't explain that what happened was sin or that there is a broken relationship. And there's some way that sin can be changed or how that will be removed. But without an explanation of why we have evil and sin and sickness and tragedies, For my Muslim friends, they try to explain it and it is often explained sometimes that God causes it and sometimes it's a belief in evil spirits or jinn as sometimes they call it, other forces that are operating which they do not always understand or know the source. And this creates many of the practices that we will think about. So some practices of Islam have a source within Evil or s- Satan or evil spirits, but other practices are just cultural, traditional things that are done that are popular ways of doing certain things. The role of the Quran is interesting because there are verses in the Quran that were specifically given to answer magical purposes, and these are the last two surahs of the Quran: Surah 113 and 114 that they are spoken over things. They will break spells or break the change of the evil spirits. But there's some other interesting occultic or folk practices that go on when people go to Mecca. The idea of going to Mecca and there's a great stone or a monument that people go round and round, the circumvental circumambulating around a stone and then running back and forth at Zamzam are all sorts of occultic-type practices that are the tradition and the right norm of practices that are conducted on the Hajj. So even with orthodox Islam, we see certain elements that have a flavor of occultism. The other thing is that there's many practices that you do when there's people who are sick People used to try to save the water that Muhammad used when he washed himself to pray and this water would then be holy or ceremonial so that you could pour it over people who were sick and it would have magical properties and you will find like at Mecca also the Zamzam water has magical properties. One of my neighbors when she went on the Hajj brought me back a large bottle of Zamzam water. It was rather a strange gift. (laughs) Um... Because she said that it would have magical properties to help us. <clears throat> there are also hadiths that talk about that you can use verses from the Quran. One hadith says that you can use a verse from the Book of Allah with a spoonful of honey plus cupping, and this will bring healing. Healing is also mentioned that you can use it by making honey and extracts from other herbs, plus cutting people or burning people. This will bring healing and that these were practices that Muhammad approved of. So the Hadith gives some indication that there are various magical portions and practices that heal when people are sick. Quite often, There are rites of passage. Where we often see many of these things practiced is when a person has a baby, the things you do on the seventh day or the things you do with small children to protect them or when you're having special festivals like weddings. There are many superstition practices. If you're going to build a building... Quite often people would want to slaughter an animal and put the blood of an animal in the ground before building the foundation of a building. Or they would also slaughter animals before plowing or each year in order for the ground to bring forth a fruitful thing. So there are many rites of passages of yearly events that different magical practices are a part of. One of the other things is the blessings and oaths. Blessings and oaths are not a part of our culture so much anymore, but very much a part of the Middle East and part of this culture. When a person casts a blessing upon someone. When a baby is born, we can give blessings, but we need to be careful what we say. You never say that the baby is beautiful because they're worried that something might happen to the baby, but we can say blessings like that God give you a long life, God give you many sons, God. Keep your child in wonderful health. There are also special days. It's often thought that the night before the Friday prayers or the special days during Ramadan or special feast days also carry blessing. And there are places who have blessings. Of course, there's a special blessing if you went to Mecca or Jerusalem or sometimes it's the mosque that can give special blessing. But then there are people who carry blessing. Certain people who have perhaps unwittingly maybe given a blessing to someone. I have a friend who when she delivered children, she was the midwife, and the children she delivered were healthy and well. And So therefore she was thought to have special powers. So everyone wanted her to be the midwife for their child, especially if they had ever lost a child, then they would want to have this woman to come. And little by little she would acquire a title of being holy and special. And then when she died, they made a special tomb to her so people could continue to visit and continue the blessing to go on to her. Often then objects will become special. So an object that would come from the tomb of someone with a blessing then will become a holy and blessed object. By the same time as giving blessings, we also have many curses and oaths that are given with a special formula. And then, of course, there is the fear that the oaths will really come to pass. So magical practices for sickness, magical practices for passages of life and various things that we do, and blessings upon people. (coughs) That leads us to the fact that these blessings upon people then develop a cult of saints or a cult of holy people And when they die, their graves and their tombs become places of holiness. Especially this is still true of the Prophet Muhammad. People go to visit his tomb in Medina and his grave. And it has power. Sometimes people just touch the fence of it. And then, of course, they are holy people. And there's the power to write charms. One of the things that's interesting is that sometimes people have problem, they go to the mosque and there's someone who's considered very holy, recited all of the Quran, then he will write verses on a piece of paper and give it to the person. And the person will perhaps pin it on himself or put it in a little sachet and put that onto himself. Or sometimes it is still possible that they write it. And then they wash the ink off the paper and drink the water with the holy words, so that eating the Quran, as it were. This is quite often people who wanted to have a child and have not had a baby will go to a holy person and have the verses written to help them to get pregnant, and then drink the water of the ink that's washed off as a special magical power to make them pregnant. So there's so many times there seems to be a game of power of acting and causing things to happen, not realizing the understanding of the power of God. And yet in the Islam they constantly say, Allah Ekbar, God is powerful, God is mighty. And yet understanding how God's power operates in their individual life seems to be something that is not understood. Again, like Sufis, we have Dick and it's very popular to recite the names of God. And that is often using the prayer beads. People like to use the prayer beads, a string of beads of 99 beads, or sometimes just 33. And you say all the 100 names, either using the beads three times or having one with 99, so you can say all of them. Practices of Dick cutter Are used in prayer and similar to Sufism. It's a protection against evil. And also, that it then comes in the veneration of the songs of the Prophet, songs to Muhammad, songs that talk about him and all the qualities he has. This was especially true on the Prophet's birthday. Once a year, on the birthday of the Prophet, it becomes a huge night and day of singing the praises of the Prophet, veneration of Muhammad becomes a part, although in the Quran it doesn't mention that this is Islamic, but yet it puts Muhammad as being above other people, and Muhammad is the one to follow. There is a, a list of things that causes sickness. Sickness can be treated, and by special people and they do believe that doctors treat sickness but quite often they're treated by herbs of certain things that can have special powers and breaking taboos. If people break a taboo or do something that is against the culture then there's a whole set of treatment of different herbs and practices that have to be performed so that you can break the taboo and be able to be acceptable again. Involved in this sometimes is also the fact that there is sorcery. There are people who uh, come and have a special spirit that belongs to them. I unwittingly had a friend who invited me to a party in London. And she said, each year I have a wonderful party and my friends come. And it's for a friend of mine. Each year she has a special ceremony. And I would like to invite you to come. And she didn't give me a very clear idea about the party. And when I arrived at the house, it turned out to be a woman who has a special evil spirit. And each year on the anniversary of her spirit and her work that she does for her spirit, she has a party in which, again, she would dress probably in white. She dressed as if she was the bride of her spirit married to him. And then she had several layers of clothing of different colors as the ceremony proceeded. And she danced to a frenzy or ecstasy. And then all the other women in the place danced with her. Realizing what I'd found, uh, I offered to take her children out to the park and So I spent the day in the parking because I didn't wish to be a part of this. But it's found to be much more common sometimes among people than I had realized and even happening in many places, not just in the North African culture. Finding healing, there are many things that will help. Lots of times, all sorts of charms and amulets that would protect or help or bring some sort of comfort, or magical purposes to you. Quite often there is another practice that is involved in finding solutions or helps for situations is to visit the graves of people who already died. So there's often a very dark element of regularly that the women visit the graves of relatives or family members. There's also the practice of exorcism if they think the sickness is caused by evil spirits. There are certain holy men or people who will perform exorcism upon the person. It's not all that common, but it is still a part of Islamic practice that people can be exorcised of evil spirits that would lead to, if healing has is only caused through evil spirits. Another very real problem that we're aware of and perhaps you have heard about is the evil eye. The evil eye which appears on the top of the pyramid on the American dollar is the symbol of what is known as the evil eye which comes from many centuries ago in ancient times in Iraq and in Egypt where Horus the eagle god had two eyes. One was the moon the sun in his right eye and the moon in his left. He was later called Horus, the lord of the eye, and he had two blue turquoise eyes. The eye was the source of his power or the power for the pharaohs. It's interesting that the word eye in Arabic means source, a spring, a source. But if the evil eye is very frightening to many people and you need to be protected from it, You are protected by using or wearing the color turquoise. And since it's one of my favorite colors, I was always sorry that I didn't feel comfortable to wear that because I didn't want people to think I was protecting myself from the evil eye. And the number five is a protection. You can guess why five is a useful number because of the five duties and beliefs of Islam. So five... Or also because five is often associated with the hand or the hand of Fatima. So the hand upon you or the hand of Fatima will protect you from the evil eye and the powers of the evil eye. The bride will often be dressed uh, in a special color. But sometimes I was at a wedding where the bride was not even the one that you were seeing. They put someone else in the place of the bride so that the evil eye wouldn't know where the bride really was and attack her. But often they're afraid for children and they will protect them or worry about the things that are said to them that might cause the evil eye. It has something to do with jealousy and envy and it's a part of many other parts of the world which you will hear spoken about. And things need to be washed and cleansed with special salt water or a special holy water that comes from somewhere. And the saying often that you hear is, I take refuge in God which is a Quranic statement from one of the verses of the Quran. Another part that we're aware of quite a lot is that fortune-telling is very popular in the part of the Muslim world where I was living. Trying to find out what will happen, what will come. There are special people who had the powers to tell the future. People who, like planning a horoscope or through astrology, had different powers that they could explain a person's future, and especially the women went to them. Some of these things and these views are because the Muslim worldview is not just of God and his angels, as our world might be, looking at the powers that have acted in our lives. But within the worldview, Satan has power, the jinns, prophets, holy men, Zari spirits and evil spirits, and the other is that there is a each person is thought to be born with a twin spirit. And when we're saying about the baby on the seventh day, when the baby is given his name on the seventh day, sometimes we have the practice that the spirit, the other twin, should disappear on that day and the child remains with just the one spirit. But sometimes the belief is that that didn't happen and the person lives his life with the two spirits fighting for his identity and the evil spirit would have power over his own spirit. But also people who have died are said to have power. So there's fear of many different things and also thinking that even... uh, Bread and other plant life has some sort of a spirit about it. I was always amazed at how you could never throw away bread, particularly because bread was said to have some sort of power of life within itself. Most of these things happen because people have a need, their felt needs that are being met. How are their needs met? People have a need because there's the fear of the unknown, the fear of evil. In folk Islam, then you try to solve that need by finding charms or some sort of witchcraft or amulets or different things that will overcome the power of the unknown. But it opens a door for us to talk about security and the blood of Christ, the power of the blood of Christ that can. Give us victory over fear. There's a great fear of powerlessness. And finding, if you could find the future or divinate or tell someone tell you your future, will that give you power over what's going to happen to you? But we read and learn about the spiritual weapons we have in Christ in Ephesians that give us power and weapons to overcome the evil one. Another great cause often of fear is the shame of not belonging to the group and the curses. But acceptance in the body of Christ and reconciliation takes away the fear and the curse of the past. Sickness, finding power in healing in Christ. Helplessness in situations Will magic or saints or visiting a saint's place solve the problem? But Christ answers through prayer, Christ's power, Christ's wisdom to us in finding what to do in hopeless situations. And I think quite often there's a meaninglessness to life, turning to the spirit world to find meaning. Because within the spirit world they experience power, they experience things that happen where they didn't have power, and this is a world of power, but yet we can meet power in Christ, which is safe, purpose, and the vulnerability of people to these influences, and versus the security that we find from the occult, as with our intercessor, Christ. Some of this presents us with many situations which. We need to have great understanding and wisdom to help a person if we realize that Satan has taken power in this person's life. I think there are some practical steps, but one of them is you never do these things alone. You need to find Christian brothers and sisters to share the situation with about your friend and seek their help in prayer and partnership and then perhaps carefully plan together to take counsel as to how that person could be helped. It, we've had a few experiences where people have been delivered, but we need to help them to understand that the, the wanting deliverance without wanting the deliverer is a difficult position to be in. We want to encourage them if they're asking Jesus for deliverance, that they would ask for Jesus to be their life as well. As Jesus said to one of the men that he delivered from evil spirits, if they come out and it isn't filled with the life of Christ, he's in danger of it being filled with many more evil spirits than his second condition would be worse than his first. So we need to have caution in encouraging people to have an experience, but they need to meet the person of Christ as well as the experience of the power of Christ. I think it's an issue which we need to spend a lot of time thinking and learning about, perhaps, before we get involved into it. I find it very helpful in working with Muslim people and in ministries that you keep a journal of the things you're learning, that you write things down and and then you're able to think and pray about them with others and how I approach these needs and how I look at where do I begin. But also perhaps it's good as you read the Gospels that you make note of how the Lord dealt with the people who had these many needs and in the life of our Muslim friends and be able to introduce them, sometimes through the stories in the Scripture that will show them that deliverance and hope is possible.